Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Chicago Podcast Network's ongoing limited series, I guess you'd call it, where we go through and review all of the Star Wars movies. Uh, last week, when we did episode two, which I titled Out Front Reviews Episode Two and Hates It, uh, we are quoting Dante last week, Long and Hard on the Road Out of Darkness That Leads Up to Light. Here we are, ladies and gentlemen, in, well, I guess you would call the, the sunrise, the dawn of at least the good Star Wars, to a point, though, apparently AJ disagrees with me on that, and we're going to get into that today. AJ, say hi to the people. Hey, people. Uh, I wanted to kind of go into this one, AJ, a little bit, and have some fun with it, and, you know, because the difference with this one as compared to the other two that we did... Uh, I actually kind of enjoy episode three. I think there's an argument to be made that it's uh, almost as good as Return of the Jedi, but that's mainly due to my hatred of the Ewoks, which we'll get into when we get to the Jedi podcast. But with this one in particular, we kind of went through with the last two and started this way, so I think I should do it again. So here, ladies and gentlemen, is the episode three text that uh, kind of got us at least a little bit more fired up than the last two did. It's uh, it's written a little bit better. It, it kind of flows, I think, a little bit more. Here we go. War! Exclamation point. The Republic is crumbling under attacks by the ruthless Sith Lord Count Dooku. There are heroes on both sides. Evil is everywhere. In a stunning move, the fiendish droid leader, General Grievous, has swept into the Republic cap- capital and kidnapped Chancellor Palpatine, leader of the Galactic Senate. Senate? Senate. There we go. I can speak. I'm a trained broadcaster. As the Separatist droid army attempts to flee the besieged capital with their valuable hostage, two Jedi Knights lead a desperate mission to rescue the captive Chancellor. And from that moment on, we get... The longest heel turn in the history of American cinema. AJ, the movie starts off with probably the best use of CGI in the prequels with that opening battle over Coruscant. What did you think of that opening scene? I I liked it. I mean, yeah, I didn't... I think it's it's not that you know, obvious that I just don't like the three prequels to the original trilogy of Star Wars. With that being said, I mean, I mean, this was an entertaining movie, um, and it's finally getting to where it should have been an episode before to get us to this point. And I think that opening scene in um, episode three is, it was really good. You know, I don't think it was as good as any of the other Star Wars movies, but it was good, and it kind of showed that George Lucas um, got his act together, finally, and started off on a good foot rather than trying to catch up halfway through the movie. Part of me wonders if the reason that this one works a little bit better than the other two is this is the movie that the prequels were designed to be, right? Like, this is the one that they're leading up to, and the one that basically you, you kind of figure... He had some of it written back in the 70s, so there's still that vibe. Now, that being said, there is still evidence that uh, he can't write love scenes. I mean, the, the, the love scenes between Padme and Anakin are written, again, like a five-year-old writing a love scene. But that opening scene is good, though it does introduce one of the worst characters, I feel, in Star Wars. And it, it worse even than Jar Jar Binks, in the character of General Grievous. The asthmatic, evil, robot Jedi, Sith thing. So, if we can just focus on that just for a moment. Episode 3, 2, and 1, none of them had a leading antagonist in the entire movie, you know? Whereas, New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi, you had Darth Vader. Now you can argue we, we don't know of Darth Vader because of that, and that's and that's fine. I, I understand that. But there's no antagonist leading us in this story as well. There's there's no continuity when it comes from episode one to episode three. And so the person that we are seeing, you don't see him as much, you know, and he doesn't do anything other than we know he's bad. 
Yeah, and, and and the lack of a of an antagonist is, I think, one of the things that really hurts all three of these movies. I've I've said before, and now that we're here, there's a point in this movie where Grievous and Obi Wan have like a couple scenes of dialogue, and I really felt like the movie would have been vastly improved with one line of dialogue that implies that Grievous is the mechanical version of Darth Maul. Had they done that in this movie, you would have had a much better emotional connection to the fight that Obi-Wan has with General Grievous. It would have had a lot more meaning to it and could have been a truly epic thing. Instead, it's, as we said with the last two, kind of shoehorned in there to give Obi-Wan something to do while Anakin is back on Coruscant going through his heel turn, which... I gotta tell you, man, I haven't watched this movie really since it came out, and I was blown away by how much I was actually, because when I saw the episode three the first time, I didn't watch episodes one and two beforehand, right? Like, I didn't go back and watch them to get ready, because I didn't like them very much. But because we're doing this, and I'm kind of looking at it through a more analytical eye, his fall in this movie does make sense. Uh, but it would have been better, I think, with a much better actor. And it starts off with that opening scene where he fights Count Dooku and he cuts his head off, you know, under the orders of the Emperor, who we don't know is the Emperor yet, but we know he's the Emperor. Again, that whole thing is very confusing to me. But it is. It is confusing, right? Like, cause there, it is. You and I know as Star Wars fans that he's the Emperor. But if you're not a diehard Star Wars fan and like someone dragged into this movie, I feel like everyone would have. It happened with my friend uh, Nicole who was watching these with us. She goes, So who is that? I'm like, Well, that's the guy who's really evil. She goes, But why is he evil? And you're like, Well, you just kind of know that if you're a fan. If you're not a fan and you don't know that the Emperor is. Because they never call him Emperor Palpatine in the original trilogy, he's just the Emperor. But that's the problem, you know, and we've said this before in the other episodes is that. There is something to be said that these prequels <clears throat> were for fans. You know, we wanted to see something. Now we've seen it. We know how bad they are. But they were written in a way because we've read the books. We've seen the expanded universe. And it should be like, well, you should know, you know, because even episode three, even though there was still some nice solid information and content to make that movie more palatable than episodes two and one. However, you still need to go and reference the clone wars in order to understand some of these things and how they go through fruition or certain backstories, you know? So even with this episode, you have to look at the clone wars TV series in order to understand what's going on after the movies happened. The, you mentioned the Clone Wars, and I, I don't know, have you watched any of the cartoon? Yeah, I mean, when it was on, I mean, it was like on a regular basis, but, but was, it, I liked it. I, I always have said to people that if you really want to get an idea of what the prequels should have been, watch that cartoon, and it's a much better representation than any of the three movies. And mm-hmm. it gives you more of an inkling as to why he would turn evil. And I wonder if my appreciation of his turn in this movie comes from having watched all of that that show. Because I think that that is a factor in it. But I also, you know, going back to the lack of an antagonist, he becomes the antagonist in this movie, but I still feel it happens too quickly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like one scene he's good, the next something happens, next scene he's evil, and it doesn't work for character development. But I don't... This movie has a lot of interesting points that it needs to hit, which is part of the problem with doing prequels, And as, as we said last week. You don't have the risk for these characters. Like, you know that Obi-Wan's going to live. You know that Padme has to die. And you know that the children need to be born. And so the conclusion of the movie, much like watching the movie Titanic, you know it so far in advance that when it gets there, it doesn't feel as organic as it should. Even though it makes sense for what comes after and what came before, the lack of suspense is an issue. But in this movie, 
they do, I, I will say this, they do some really cool stuff with some of the auxiliary characters, some of the ancillary characters, and the Emperor in particular, Palpatine, uh, played by Ian McDermott, is really good in this movie. Like, you believe him in this movie. Right. No, um, I think he's the only actor, I think we can agree on that, was actually good in this well, was- prequel. Besides, so besides you and McGregor, who I think is actually really good in these movies. Oh I, yeah, I mean, I, I'll give I'll give him that too. Um, and, 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 Sam, and Sam Jackson did fine, also. Well, in, in this one where he finally has stuff to do, right? You know, you know in, in episode two, he's in that battle scene, but it's not really taken advantage of. Uh, I feel you know, like, yeah, he kills Django Fett, but I didn't care about Django Fett by the time he kills him. Like I didn't think of Django as this awesome character like Boba Fett. By the time you get to Return of the Jedi. And I don't know. I feel like Sam Jackson is is good as Mace Windu. But I also feel like he's also playing Sam Jackson. Because there's that lightsaber fight between the two of them. And he gives him that BMF Sam Jackson look. Yes. Which, which is so blatant. And you're like, oh, that's just Sam Jackson doing his thing. But again, he's used as a plot device in the, you know turning evil of Anakin and it it's good but there are weak points in how they use Mace Windu I do like uh the fact that I I will say this this is the first time in this prequel that I buy the palace intrigue that's going on where you have the senate is like this Certain members of the Senate in or Bail Organa and Padme are trying so hard to hold on to democracy and it's being taken away from them. And she has that great line, this is how democracy ends, with thunderous applause, which is such a veiled, thinly veiled reference to, you know, American culture in general that I really in as as a liberal, I really enjoy that line. Yes. Yes. And if you don't think of Trump watching this movie, you're crazy. Right. There's a lot of strong elements to it. There's a lot of weak elements to it. But I guess I should probably go through and quickly go through the plot. The Chancellor's kidnapped. Uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin go to save him during a fight with Christopher Lee slash Dracula slash Saruman, uh, Count Dooku. They have a big fight that's reminiscent of the last fight of Episode 2. Anakin gets the upper hand. The Emperor tells him to cut off his head. There's a chase scene slash uh, crashing of a ship. They land on the planet. They get ideas of where General Grievous is hiding. Obi-Wan goes to find him. Meanwhile, Anakin is left in Coruscant, where he's manipulated by the Emperor. He's having nightmares of Padme dying. He wants to do everything he can to make sure that she will be safe, which leads into the idea that Jedi shouldn't fall in love. Uh, he basically swears allegiance to the Emperor. Uh, after the em- I do give them credit. They don't immediately rush it. When he first finds out that the Emperor is a Sith Lord, he goes and does the right thing, and then you get Sam Jackson, who basically... There is an argument to be made in this movie, by the way, AJ, that Anakin and the Emperor are technically doing what's right, which is an interesting thought. Do you, are they? Yes, and here's why. Whether or not you... To me, it comes down to this. Whether or not... You agree with that man. He is the democratically elected leader of the Senate. Now, you can argue that the way he does his politics is wrong, but under the law that exists, he's doing what's right. Anakin is the loyal Jedi to the system who is saying, in a way, you can't just say the Jedi have the right to come in here and and basically pull a coup d'etat over the legally elected government of the Republic. And, and I agree with that. The issue is that then the guy stands up and goes, by the way, we're no longer a Republic, we're an Empire, and I am the Emperor, and I look like a hideous demon creature, but it's cool, you can totally trust me. And that is where it gets into the thing. But you do have the, have the argument of, listen, at the end of the day, the Jedi try to overthrow the government. They do try to do that. The plot that... Palpatine has set in motion comes to fruition and he counts on essentially the goodness of the Jedi to be used against them to get what he wants. And while that's evil, legally, he's in the right. I wait for your response. 
Well, you can make that same argument for like even real real applications of have happened. I mean, that's what like Idi Amin did in Uganda. Like he was democratically elected, but then he turned from a democratically elected Ugandan leader to a authoritarian dictator and everything, and same way with other examples like that. So, I mean... Well, no, the obvious... I mean, you're right that he... That's true and all, but I think how he got there, in my view, is not the way he should have been elected. Right. Well, that's what politics is, you know? Well, they also make several uh, references to the fact that his term would have been up like two years ago, but they, the Senate unanimously voted to keep him in power until the war was over. There's a whole subplot going on that because they've killed Count Dooku, the war should basically be over. But the Emperor says until Grievous is gone, we're still at war. Now, we all kind of at this point know that he's the one orchestrating the war on both sides to keep his power consolidated. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that the Emperor in this is, like, suddenly good. I'm just saying that under the system of government that they have set up, he is legally in power. And as the story kind of plays out, I I do feel like the fact that he's orchestrating the war on both sides isn't used enough in the story. Would you agree with me on that? No, I I would agree with that. They, they, they They don't get into it, and as a result of that, you finds yourself kind of questioning a lot about the plot, what his plan was, and there's still the issue of where did all these clones come from that no one seems to deal with. Uh, You have some really good scenes in this movie, though, that sell you on the idea that this hero that Anakin is, and my hatred of Hayden Christensen's acting aside, from a storyline standpoint... Anakin is a hero, and then he is trying to do what he thinks is right, but his motivations become selfish, and they're all about saving Padme, and that's what causes his fall from grace. There is a lot of World War II and, like, Bible implications where, I mean, you can draw a straight line from that speech where uh, the Emperor says, I can help you save Padme from dying as Jesus being tempted in the garden by Satan. You know what I'm saying? Like, and he makes the wrong choice to save the one that he loves over doing what is right for everybody. And it gets into this crisis that this character has. I do like the one scene. I love the one scene where he's talking to Padme and he says to her, I want more power. I know that I shouldn't, but I know that I'm capable of so much more. And it feels that the jet, and I feel like the Jedi are holding me back. Which, if you've been told for the last 10 years you are the chosen one, you are the most powerful Jedi ever, but don't use your power, that's, you know, there's a great line uh, in a Stephen King story where they say, talent isn't silent, talent screams to be let out, and if you're that powerful, wouldn't you want to see the full range of your powers, especially if it can be used to save the woman you love? It does make sense. Again, it's just horribly acted. Well, again, as we said in our last review, does the acting drive the writing or does the writing drive the acting? I think we decided last time that it's a combination of the two in this particular case. And you you still think it's the same for this episode? I think that the writing in this episode, I think that there are lines of dialogue that take place in all three of the prequels that in the hands of a more talented writer, like a great example is, uh, think of like, the original Star Trek movies and the dialogue in those, and I think of the dialogue as it's written in the remakes, as much as the remakes have their issues, the dialogue is a lot stronger. They don't speak like comic book heroes. In the Star Wars original trilogy that we're going to be getting to this week, the dialogue is still wooden from some characters, but you have Harrison Ford kind of doing his own thing that makes the movie more believable. This movie, everyone is so beholden to the script that no one's allowed to kind of work outside of it which creates the issue but if you're asking me do i still think it's i think it's still the same thing i think that if you're 
I think that if you're a bad actor and you're handed bad words, there's no recovery for it. I think that really good writing can hide a bad actor, but I don't think that a bad actor and bad writing can ever win. And that's what happens in all three of these. But I think you nailed it on the head, and I just didn't think of it until you said it, is that if we look at how we were introduced in our generation, how we were introduced to Star Wars, you know, and now into these the prequel trilogies. But if you also look at movies like the Michael Keaton Batmans and um, other movies around that time, you, if you look at those then, if you look at the some of the remakes now, there's a huge difference. And it's because you look at Batman with Jack Nicholson's Joker, those were written as if they were cartoons. Right. You know, even the movie Dick Tracy was a cartoon movie, you know, whereas Dark Knight, there is some contemporary language in that writing, you know, that you would never have gotten from the other Batman movies and what have you. So I think you're right that all of these episodes are written away because they're set up like graphic novels, if not cartoons, you know? And because of that, without just giving license of, this is a sci-fi fantasy flick, but we're going to inject certain um, contemporary war, um, contemporary rhetoric and other things into the writing because we still need to connect the audience to this, you know, because if you create a whole different language, then it's going to be sorely missed by the audience, except for those diehard um, people that are watching this, they're going to probably get it or they're going to be royally upset. As, as you kind of work your way through this film and you're, and you're going with it, there are, the one thing that I give this movie credit for over the last two is there is some really cool uh, Star Wars universe building that takes place in this that doesn't feel as forced as it did in episodes one and two. There are characters that are introduced that, you know, have long-reaching implications. I, I'm i a big fan of NYPD Blue when it was on, and so I really like the use of the... Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to say this right. The I love Jimmy Smits, and I love him in a lot of the stuff he did. He's great on the second season of Dexter, but I, I like the inclusion of an actor that you recognize playing a role that have, that is important to the history of the universe that they've created, but doesn't necessarily does does not appear in the in the next trilogy. But he plays Bail Organa, the one who raises Leia, the one who, you know, my father Bail, you know, sent, fought with you in the Clone Wars, and she's trying to get Obi-Wan to come meet with him on Alderaan before it blows up. And, and that's just a nice little touch. It's able to kind of say that this is an important character, even though Jimmy Smith has, I think, like four scenes in the movie. And, but he's important enough that you get an actor that people instantly recognize. Plus, as I understand it, like Sam Jackson, big Star Wars fan, and like went out of his way to make sure he could be in this movie. The right. the universe building is great. The way that they get there is 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 interesting. There is the the battle on Kashyyyk with Yoda. There is really cool, though not as long as I would have liked it. Uh, there's only like really two scenes of it, but I think that that was. Because at one point you suddenly realize when you're watching that battle that everyone who appears on screen is CGI. Right. You notice no, that? And, and you made a comment earlier about how this was better CGI. And I and I agree. I think this film did a much better job at CGI. And I think, unfortunately, it took two episodes to work the bugs out in order to get, make this one good. Which the payoff as a result of it, is worthwhile. But the, the green screen effect isn't as noticeable as it was in the last two movies, which goes a long way to selling you on the important aspect of this story, that the backgrounds matter. I like, by the way, did you... Let's take a second. Can you figure out what the hell that concert was that they're at? 
Like, do you remember what I'm talking about where it's Anakin and, and the Emperor and they're sitting there having that conversation about Darth Plagueis? About, yeah. Like, what is that concert? What is that form of entertainment? I thought, honestly, it was the uh, the modal band that, that we saw in the cantina in Return of Jedi. I thought it was just them. Okay, but what was the big ball with the lights? Was it like Laser Floyd? Like that? I don't know. I mean, I mean, again, I mean, this is like if you the the other problem when you're doing sci-fi fantasy films is that when you start doing some of these side visuals and you don't know what it is, um, that becomes very distracting for someone who wants to figure out. It's like, what the fuck is this? I mean, it's like now you're wanting to know what's going on in there and are we going to go in there um, sometime soon? And if you're not, it's like, so why did you add that to begin with? Why is the sphere from Michael Crichton's sphere just in the middle of a concert hall? Also, for the record, now that I think about it, that would be a great way to cross over into our universe. This, right? What if that's what it was? What if the sphere in the movie Sphere was just that concert thing that it crash landed on? Oh, wow. And it was I just know. like that whole plot of that movie is just people attending a concert that they don't understand. Yeah, no, I mean, I've always would love to see like other universes crossing other universes and either at least. A tip, of, a tip of a hat to other movies and let's say, oh, let's add them in there just for shits and giggles and see how we can do this. And so people are like, well, that's so cool. And then you move on. Well, that gets into the idea of uh, – you, you've heard the E.T. Is a, is a Jedi theory, right? Do you know this theory? E.T. is a Jedi? Have you never heard this story? No. All right. Hold on. I got to find it really quick because it's worthwhile. But if you watch episode one – when they first show you the uh, the Senate and they're like panning over everything, yeah. The one of the races that you see there is is uh, ETs. Like it's just nothing but ETs. So here's how it goes. It started as a meme. It goes one. Yoda is a well known figure in the Senate chamber. Two. ET creatures can be seen in the Star Wars Senate chamber. Right as a little cameo. Three. E.T. creatures come to Earth, and one of them meets a young boy. That young boy plays with Star Wars figures, which is kind of weird because E.T.'s are in, st- in, in Episode 1. Step 5 of this is, when E.T. is dressed as a ghost when they go trick-or-treating, he sees a kid dressed as Yoda for Halloween and recognizes him and points at Yoda and goes, Home. Which means... That if E.T. can make the bike fly using the power of his mind, therefore meaning the Force, E.T. is a motherfucking Jedi. Are you there? I am. I'm, I'm, I'm just simmering all this because that makes the movie E.T. a whole different other story in itself then. Right? It should be Star Wars Episode 3.5, E.T. Comes to Earth. That's the thing. It's like... Howard the Duck. Did you just mention Howard the Duck on a Star Wars? I, I did mention Howard the Duck on Star Wars. I hate Howard the Duck. That movie he's is... A great, he's a great character. He's a great character, but that movie is terrible. Hey, he, it's Howard the Duck. You can't it, it's a George Lucas movie, post-Star Wars. It was the first sign that there were cracks in the foundation. There you go. That's a sign of how George Lucas cannot write, because it's Howard the Duck. The... Uh, I just I love the idea like that's that goes back to when we were doing our episode one show and the the theory that Jar Jar is a Sith Lord like that <laughs> like th- there's all of those like little things that you can find like there's the like you'd like talking about movies crossing over with other movies there's the the Pulp Fiction theory that if you I forgot how exactly it works but you can basically say that when Julius leaves when he, you know like how he goes I'm going to wander the earth like Kane and Kung Fu. Like that—that's what he goes and does, but eventually gets picked up by an alien and taken away, and that's how you get Mace Windu. Because the reason the bullets don't hit Julius and uh, or don't hit Jules and Vincent Vega is because Jules is a Jedi who doesn't know it yet, and when they unload the bullets, he redirects them around them both. Now, there's one thing 
in our whole review up to the prequels right now that we have not discussed has been bothering me. Uh, let's get to it, baby. <clears throat> How come we don't see Max Rebo? Why is it so important for you to see Max Rebo? Because he is a bad-ass guy. You talking about the piano player? Yes! Well, it would have been great if he had been in that concert scene. What if what if Max Rebo is like the Star Wars version of like Yo-Yo Ma or Yanni? That's what I'm saying. I mean, I think Max Rebo is an intricate character in the entire Star Wars franchise. Well, then he should have been there with the with the special edition woman who sings for no reason. Which which by the way, when you watch the original trilogy, are you going special edition because that's the only version you can find anymore? I mean, no. you're going to try to find original theatrical? Yes. Good luck to you. They've done a I very know. good job of it. You have to have a VHS player to watch them at this point. I know, and I have one. The uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Just in case, just in case. It's, it's literally for that trilogy is the only reason I keep trying to find a VSR DVD, VCR DVD combo. Because I still have all three of those tapes. But if you look at, like, Max Rebo's, like, species and there's like an interesting storyline within all that and if you're like really into star wars you start start um reading about the various other species and races and everything and and read their storylines and how they play into everything it is like very interesting you know and you start asking well how come we didn't incorporate this or that or how come this narrative should have centered around this. So that's the the beauty actually, of I, I, Star Wars, I feel. I just actually created a, because you know that they're doing all of the, like they're going to be doing episodes and then individual movies. I want one right. of the individual movies to be that Max Rebo and the Cantino band, Cantina band, were both playing together the night that Anakin and the Emperor are at the concert. And that I want Max Rebo to be like Sting and the police. So like <laughs> at that point they were together and they were performing in massive concert halls. And then you fast forward 20 years and the Cantina band, which is the police, is basically a bar band. And Max Rebo's going around doing private concerts for birthdays to people who remember him in his glory days 20 years ago. You can do it like uh, like uh, Dream Girls, but with Star Wars aliens. What do you think? I like that. Yeah, see, this is what I'm saying. And then after that, you can do, you can do just a pod. They should also do Days of Thunder, but with pod racing. There you go. You know, and then you can have a line of rubbing is racing. Send me over the script. No problem. I'll get it right to you. And then uh, what? We can start development on Tuesday. Perfect. We'll do lunch. Uh, it couldn't be any more douchey Hollywood. I want to spend the last like half of this show though, really talking about uh, the yeah. what's up. Max, Max Rebo. Rebo. Yes, I want to spend the last half an hour just talking about Max Rebo, the the, the blue elephant character. The uh, look, if we're gonna get, by the way, if we're gonna get into obscure characters to make you know references to, where the hell was Salacious Scrub? Which is my favorite. What's up? He died. Well, not not yet. He only dies in. He doesn't even die in Jedi. Well, no, he does die in Jedi because he's on the barge. He does when it cra- die. <laughs> he's on the barge when it crashes after you, uh, Leia chokes him out with a chain. Which we'll get into Salacious Scrub later because he's one of those great characters who never has a name, but then action figures came out and he got a name. Right. Same with Boba Fett. Yes. Uh, but I want to spend the last bit of the show because it is the most important thing. From the minute uh, Mace Windu dies, the movie, there, this movie is in many ways, like I said this about episode two, uh, but in a different way. In episode two, I said there were two movies taking place. One was a love story. One was a pretty decent, cool mystery that is so overshadowed by the love story that it doesn't really feel important. This movie feels like there is a movie that gets you to the point where Mace Windu confronts the Emperor. And then after Anakin basically helps the Emperor kill Sam Jackson, the movie becomes very different. And is the last 45 minutes are just watching Anakin become Darth Vader. And if you're willing to accept that he does it that quickly, fine. I'm not. I don't think that that makes that much sense. But assuming that that's what actually would happen in this universe, the last 40 minutes of this movie are actually really cool. I I really enjoy that lightsaber fight between Obi-Wan 
and and I guess you at that point call him Darth Vader. But I want to get I want to start with this. When in your life, AJ, did you know that Darth Vader was made into Darth Vader fighting Obi Wan on the side of a volcano? Was it only when this movie came out, or did you know that ten years before that? Ten years before that. Okay. Interesting trivia for everyone who is listening. Uh, it's kind of personal, also factual. When I was a young kid, and I had the opportunity to start reading Star Wars novels, thanks to the Scholastic Book Ordering Form, my friend Tony and I were huge Star Wars fanatics, even before they did the re-releases. We were just diehard Star Wars fans. And like you said, you know, same thing. Like, you just grew up with it. It was part of your life. We knew that Darth Vader was made fighting Obi-Wan on the side of a volcano. If somebody asked us how we knew that, it really would have been difficult to say. We don't know how we know that. Do you know how you knew that? How did I knew that? Like, how did you know that that's how Darth Vader was made? Did you read it in a book, or did someone just tell you that? Uh, it was both book and discussion, because um, my friends and I read Star Wars, and then every now and then, you know, we tried to talk about them and everything. And I was about to get to the point where um, Vader and Obi-Wan was fighting on the side of a volcano. And I had to read that and understand that whole context and everything. So, um, so through my friends and reading, that's how I got to that conclusion. I feel that my friend Tony and I, it's the same thing. But... There's an interesting backstory to this. In 1977, when the first movie came out and was the big hit that it was, Episode 4 A New Hope, obviously there was, it's very famous that George Lucas, like in his deal with Fox, uh, if you guys don't know this really quick, when, when they made the deal with Fox, basically George Lucas got paid no salary, uh, didn't take any of the receipts. All he asked for was... Uh, he wanted uh, like 50% of the gross, which Fox didn't think would be anything, and he wanted all the rights of the merchandising. And that was before merchandising was a big thing. And once the movie became such a big hit and Star Wars toys were everywhere, one of the things that got picked up was obviously a comic book done by Marvel Comics. And it is in Marvel Comics in 1978 that the idea that... Darth Vader was made on the side of a volcano by fighting Obi-Wan Kenobi was first introduced into culture. Most of us, myself included, have never read that comic. But that is one of the expanded universe things that just became gospel. That's how Vader was formed. How does he survive the fight? His hatred of Obi-Wan at that point is what keeps him alive and what turns him truly evil. Which, they don't do a good enough job in this movie of saying that, but if you believe that, it, it's really well done. Which is why, when the promotion for this movie was started in 2004, I was working for AT&T. AT&T signed a deal with Lucasfilm to be part of the merchandising for this. They sold a phone that I bought, the Samsung uh, spinning phone. I don't remember what it was called. But it came preloaded with all Star Wars sound effects and music as ringtones. And the poster for it showed, it was the first time anybody acknowledged it, the poster for the phone showed two lightsabers clashing over a volcano. And instantly I knew that that was going to be the end of the movie. Fast forward to seeing it. And they go to Mustafar, which is the planet that's a volcano that is, like the whole planet is a volcano, because God forbid we do anything small scale here. The, from the moment Padme lands on that ship, or lands on that planet, and begins to tell her. She does have the great line, which I give Natalie Portman all the credit in the world, because as much as the line is poorly written, she delivers it believably. Anakin, you are breaking my heart, and you are going down a path I can't follow. And then he sees Obi-Wan, and he chokes her out with the Force, Darth Vader style, and turns to Obi-Wan, and I think Obi-Wan has the line of the prequels with, besides, you don't want to sell me death sticks. The, the line of the prequels with, Anakin, my loyalty is to the Republic and to democracy, and I will stop you if I have to. You will try, delivered horribly by Hayden Christensen. And when those two light their lightsabers and clash, the kid in me from 1989 forward was so happy to watch that fight. Were you happy to watch that fight? 
I was. Um, because it was like the fight that everyone was waiting for. Um, it was the scene that we've been suspenseful, suspensely wanting to see, and I think that's like one of a few suspenseful scenes that we were waiting for throughout this prequel series and that was something that's like okay i don't care how we got to this point we're here <laughs> it was a long journey <clears throat> sorry we got to this point but we're here the, the 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 lightsaber fight in that is uh clearly the best of the prequels because it has emotional weight to it unlike the rest of them in the prequels uh I, I would argue that a lot of the lightsaber fights in the other two movies and even up until that point in the third one, and including, by the way, the very forced fight between Yoda and the Emperor in the Senate chamber, which visually very cool, but dramatically has no punch because you know that both guys have to walk away from it, right? So there's no suspense in that scene. Whereas in the Obi-Wan-Darth Vader fight, you know what's going to happen, but it's done in a way that the emotional weight of it is really carried. And Christensen, to his credit, when he's not talking, and, and, and I hate saying that because it is kind of mean to just constantly dump on the guy because a lot of the dialogue that he reads is so wooden that it's not his fault. Again, he's not the greatest actor in the world, but when he's not speaking in that scene when he's evil, he does carry that weight of this is a truly tragic character who is really torn about what he's doing, but he doesn't know what else to do except to fight his best friend to the death in basically hell. I mean, I, lo I do like, as much as it's over the top that the whole planet is a volcano, I do like the fact that he is, the Darth Vader is forged in the fires of Mount Doom or in the fires of hell. You know what I'm saying, AJ? Yeah. I mean, it fits, fits what he becomes. And those, the, the, whoever the stunt doubles are who choreograph that fight are brilliant. It is one of the most beautifully done sword fights, just period, you'll ever see in a movie. No, I agree with that. And like I said, I mean, this was the scene we were all waiting for. <clears throat> I'm glad it happened. And, um, and now we know like what happened. Now we now know happened what happens. After that, but I'm kind of, I don't know. I, I think it's it's one of those things where that helped me, at least, bridge into a fuller context between, you know, how Darth Vader became to be. Which we talked about it at the beginning of episode one, that there wasn't really a big, I don't think people were really that interested in finding how Darth Vader became Darth Vader. It's that origin story thing of we've had, you know, two Spider-Mans. I don't know how you phrase this. Two Spider-Men or Spider-Mans. It's weird to do it. But you had an origin story in both movies, right? And now that this new one they're doing, they're like, we're not doing the origin story again. And it's, you got to remember that when this movie came out, this is Batman Begins, this is Matrix 3, where everything was about exploring all aspects of backstory. You don't need it, but if you're going to tell it, at least tell it well, and as much as the prequels suffer, the last 40 minutes of this do a really good job of, of giving you that moment of this is how he... This is why he is filled with such hatred, because in his head, everybody betrays him, everybody abandons him, and he's got nothing left worth living for except his hatred, which, again, they don't do a good enough job conveying that aspect, but I think that's what you're... Do you think that's what you're supposed to take away from this, that he's got nothing left to live for but hate? Or am I, or am I wanting more out of this than is there? Honestly, I think it's more about, you know, the idea of how what evil means in that universe and can one become evil by the evolution that has happened with Anakin. Um, but that's how that's what I got of it, that this is how one becomes the end all be all evil person. And everything. And you can kind of look back at various other moments where Anakin could bar from that and everything. 
<clears throat> but um, yeah, I mean that's what I got out of it. The, the, he had choices. He had choices, and he could not have been Darth Vader if he wanted to. Right, and I think that's part of it is that he wants to become that powerful, and that like, even Obi Wan says it: your lust for power has done that, like driven Padme away from you, and. There is, but I do like the tragic aspect of it that he forces her away from him, but it's in his search for power to save her, which there is something very beautiful in that idea. It's just, again, it's, it's not executed properly and that the dialogue that is used doesn't convey that idea enough. I mean, you can, go ahead. I think the question begs, could there have been another Darth Vader other than Anakin? Because, I mean, honestly, this was kind of forced from episodes one through three. All these characters were forced. You know, there was no real organic evolution of their characters. It's like, well, we have to now force feed all these characters and kind of directly say, and this is how they got there. Now go. That's how I felt. You know? I see what you're saying. So like, <laughs> like, like when they booked the WrestleMania main event a year in advance and like, well, we have to get to that. So everything has to get to that. So the story getting there isn't going to be that great because we already know where we're going. Right. Okay. You know, I mean, you one could say, I mean, honestly, um, and we've kind of seen it with um, Return of Jedi or, yeah, that um, Luke could have been Darth Vader after the fact easily. And may still well be. We don't know. You know, um, Obi-Wan could have switched over if you wanted to. Yeah, it, it, there's, and that to me would have been the interesting thing if, and I hate going back necessarily and fanficking stuff, but to me, how interesting would it have been if, given almost the same scenario, if Darth Maul is grievous, and now in Obi-Wan's head, he has to resist the urge to give in to the temptation for revenge, for killing Qui-Gon Jinn all those years ago, would have been a more, and then he makes the right choice, and then by comparison, you see Anakin make the wrong choice. Would have been a more dramatic, compelling story. You know, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Um, but man, again, I mean, we were kind of force-fed of you know, here's the characters, here's how we're getting there. Love it, you know? Right. Yeah, like accept uh, this as it is. But I mean, this is the problem when you start. This is the problem when you have the original three. Now you have to go back <clears throat> and tell a story to lead into that. You know, um, had it start from the get go of episode one through episode six um, over a period of time. I think this would have been a more different conversation that you and I are having. I think this would be a little bit more of an organic story rather than. Well, we already set the tone because of New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. Now we have to go from these three episodes in order for you to get to here. The fight that they do, as well done as it is, it has that great ending of, of Obi-Wan going, don't try it, I have the high ground. And in his arrogance, he leaps to take him out anyway, and he cuts his legs off. And I do like when he's crawling on the ground and just screams at him, I hate you, I hate you, and you were my brother, Anakin. You were supposed to bring light to the Force, not leave it in darkness. You know, that really does set you up with uh, an interesting place to kind of go into the original trilogy with. There is an aspect of, I mean, look, there are choices that are made towards the end of that movie that are, are horrible, the, the the Darth Vader yelling, no, not a big fan of, I don't know about you, but it, it, it's just one of those things where I'm like, yeah, I don't picture Darth Vader screaming. Plus, it seems like it'd be really hard to do when you're in that much pain and wrapped in that much plastic. Right. The uh, We're coming up on the end of this thing there. We, we should get into the, the cliffhangers that get us into where we're going with episode four. I, I will tell you some of the problems that I have with this story a little bit going forward. Number one, you're Darth Vader. You're still Anakin, right? It's not like his memories disappear. So, like, at no point when they're chasing Princess Leia at the beginning of Episode Four, 
why wouldn't you immediately begin your hunt at your brother's house? You know what I'm saying? Like, it'd be, like, kind of convenient. You'd go, like, oh, well, she was on her way to Tatooine. We should probably go visit my family who still lives here. And it's, like, one of those things to me where it's just, like, there are... The problem with the cliffhanger aspect of Episode 3 is that it opens itself up to a lot of plot holes going forward if you want to find them. Like, R2... You find them in, in the Clone Wars. Yeah. That's what I was saying earlier that, you know, the, my, the one problem, one of the problems I have with episode three is that now you have to go to the Clone Wars to kind of find some resolve feeling because they are, they're answered in Clone Wars. Yes, you're right. To, about a, point, to a point, not all of them, but to a point. Well, did you see the three episode arc they did in the Clone Wars towards the end of a th- one of the seasons where they go to a planet that is basically the living force? Yeah. And it's a beautiful story, and it's all about tempting Anakin with both the light and the dark side, and what does the balance, what does balance truly mean, and and it's really well done, and if you take that story and apply it to your thinking of episode three, episode three becomes a much better story, right? It is, and I think this is like, I will say this, I, I think it was a beautiful thing that we go from episode three into Clone Wars, right? Because I think if I remember right, this is the first thing that we've seen because if we look at the Avengers movie and now they're doing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., what they did with Star Wars Episode Three into Clone Wars would be like the proto of what the Avengers are doing now, which I think everybody should do that. You know, have movies and television and comics all into one so everyone's on the same page and not you know, create universes, dismantle universes, recreate them. Um, because at this point, um, a lot of people are confused on where everyone's at within various storylines. Right. And the lack of an Ahsoka Tano hurts us very much in episode three. Right. And for those of you who are listening who don't know what we're talking about, there's a TV show on the Cartoon Network called Star Wars The Clone Wars, which in many ways is the closest thing to the original trilogy you'll get in the last 20 years, other than apparently Episode 7 is going to be. And they do some very fantastic storytelling, but within the context of that series, Anakin is given an apprentice, much like he was to Obi-Wan, to help in the ways of the Force, and... Her character is very interesting. She has a lot of growth. But the issue is, because she doesn't appear in Episode 3, that much like with the prequels, you kind of had to phase her out by the end of the show. And it's a kid's cartoon at the end of the day, so you couldn't necessarily have Anakin kill her. So they had to create a way for her to leave. But she's a character that's very important to the growth of Anakin if you accept it all as one story. The fact that he has her and then loses her as an apprentice, hurts him a great deal, which leads into the abandonment issues and the anger that he has as a result of it. But we're coming up on the end of this thing, AJ, and I think looking at the prequels as a whole, they suffer from a series of problems. One, number one, clearly is the writing. The dialogue between characters is just poorly written in a lot of the scenes, right? Right. Number two... Early use of predominant CGI, too much CGI when it wasn't at a level to be used that much until you get to episode three. And I think three is the performances of some actors who maybe Hayden Christensen just wasn't meant to act in front of a green screen, which is a very difficult skill uh, to begin with, but he's not very good in them. And when your main character that the entire thing is built around spends two movies not being as convincing as he could be, that hurts you going forward, despite how good the end of it is. And number four, the Titanic effect. We know where this story is going. So as a result of it, a lot of the suspense and angst you would feel towards your main cast doesn't exist because you know that Yoda, Obi-Wan, Anakin, the Emperor, Tarkin, like all the characters you know from the original trilogy are going to get out of this safe. Even Bail Organa, the guy played by Jimmy Smith, you know has to get out of it to be able to be around to send Leia at the beginning of Episode 4. So those characters who are really your through line are the ones that you need to know are there. And then the lack of a powerful black Jedi in the original trilogy means that something bad is probably going to happen to Samuel L. Jackson. So as... What's up? More likely. So... That effect, that Titanic effect, really does hurt these. That being said, 
Episode 3, I feel, is a vastly superior movie to both Episodes 1s and 2. Because there's actually a story here, and the plot actually works, unlike the very confusing C-spanny plots of Episodes 1 and 2. The Senate is used here well uh, as a backdrop, but it's not a focus, which I really like. You know, there's not the... And also, the fact that the crawl doesn't include the words endlessly debate or taxation goes a long way to helping. What's your final thing on the prequels as a whole, but it's specifically Episode 3, AJ? Um, I don't think Episode 3 is vastly superior. Um, I think it was a good step up from what Episode 1 and 2 failed to do. Um, because like I said, I think it was an entertaining movie. I think it actually got us to the right track, even though we had to take two other episodes to get us to that point. Um, I, I do agree about the whole Titanic effect that we know what the end result is going to be, but we were kind of, um, force fed, um, all this information not have a real organic storyline only because the way it's kind of been shuffled, you know, instead of doing the first ones first and the, the other installments later been twisted around. That's okay. Um, the writing was a little bit better. Um, King Christian is, is not is this bad actor, and um, but he is better in this one. He is better in this one. I mean, like I said, I mean, every every one in the cast as a whole stepped up. You know, I don't know if it's because of the notes that George Lucas got, or the writers kind of had somewhat of a coup and be like, you know, do this or walking. I don't know, but either way. Everyone stepped up a little bit, and that's why it made Episode Three a little bit m- a more much better um, film, Star Wars film, than Two and One did. And more importantly, more Max Rebo. More Max Max Rebo. That is, if, if AJ has one lesson to JJ Abrams for Episode Seven, more Max more Max Rebo. Solve more all Max Rebo. solve all your problems that way. If he's fighting a Tie Fighter, if he's playing, it doesn't matter. Or oh, so you want right. the you want the Max? Re- so I want Sting and the Police. You want Max Rebo the Jedi? Yes, because he can do both. Oh, like go out, like you could do like a uh, was it Gem in the Holograms? Like he goes and plays concerts and then has adventures on the side. Yeah, but better. But better. But better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, before we get out of here, let's talk about where they leave things at the end of this. Uh, they send Leia to Alderaan, which you get your first and only look of Alderaan in the entire saga, which is apparently just one metal city on top of a mountain. Like, that's that's apparently what Alderaan is. So, at the end of the day, like, if that's all that's on that planet, we're talking like 2,000 people die when the Death Star gets through it. So, I don't know where the millions of lives come from from that one city. The, uh, the I, I, I like... The way that you get Obi Wan going to Tatooine and kind of leaving them, uh, leaving Luke with, uh, oh, what the hell is his name? Uh, his uncle Owen and Aunt Beru, and they get that great shot that you'll see in Episode Four of where Luke is looking out at the twin suns with the like the slow Star Wars theme playing, and they kind of end the movie on that same shot, like looking forward, hopefully to the future, and you know they they, they do a very good job, kind of setting you up for all of that. They tell you that they wipe C-3PO's mind, which is fine, but they don't wipe R2's, which is weird, but what are you going to do? You know, there's not a lot you can do, although I feel like R2-D2 should immediately, upon meeting somebody named Skywalker, go, like, start beeping very heavily and kind of do his own thing, which backs up my theory, that is, that at some point, R2-D2 is, in fact, the greatest hero of the Star Wars trilogy. Because without R2-D2... Nothing happens, and maybe he's the mastermind behind everything. Exactly. I other, agree with all that. Okay. Uh, other than that, I, I, I just want to kind of... We're, we're done with the prequels, ladies and gentlemen, starting on... Yay! Yeah, Yay. thank God. <laughs> thank God. We can finally get into... Stuff. Yeah, we can talk about some Star Wars that actually was filmed on a set in places with people. And uh, doesn't have CGI every 30 seconds. Although I'm going to be watching the special editions for fun 
just to make fun of them. And I will see a lot of CGI that doesn't need to be there, but whatever. Uh, oh, what was the other thing I want to say? December 17th, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to these shows, we'll be at the Pickwick Theater for Star Wars Episode 7. We'll start the podcast at 5. Uh, people start getting led into the theater around 5.30. We're doing giveaways, uh, a couple contests, trivia contest, and then... Uh, We'll uh, be going up on stage to end the raffle, and then we all get to get together and watch uh, Episode 7, hopefully better than these three movies. And other than that, AJ, I think that we're officially can close the books, and never, ever, ever do you and I have to watch the prequels as long as we live. Yay, yay. <laughs> you sound like the people in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh, you have no idea, people. You have no idea. We do this for you. We, we, we did this for you, so I hope you enjoyed them. And if you're listening to this uh, show following the premiere of Episode 7, uh, say a prayer for us, uh, because our Please. souls have died watching these movies, especially Episode 2, which is the worst of the three. Four hours. Four hours? No. Oh, a total? Four that we've watched no it's closer to seven because each movie is like two hours and 20 minutes so it's been seven hours seven hours that we will never get back and our souls have died uh aj say goodbye to the wonderful people bye people uh bye to the people say i will for that is the end of bad yoda dialogue as well ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for listening to this episode of out front uh the on the chicago podcast network I hope you enjoyed our show. I hope you didn't have to suffer as much as we did. And all things considered, I guess that's it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Enjoy us on December 17th. Thank you so much for listening. And we out! 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. (laughs) 